Well, good morning. How'd you guys like those baptisms? Pretty cool, huh? Man, I, I, uh, that is such a privilege. I, I cannot even begin to express what a neat opportunity that is as a pastor, as a father, as a, as a friend to, to baptize someone that, uh, that uh, you've had an impact on, on a spiritual level. And I just appreciate uh, all those children who've come forward to be baptized this day in, in, in uh, expression of their faith. You know, we often think that uh, in baptisms it's often thought kind of in tradition, I guess, that uh, you're, you're to be baptized when you're a mature Christian. Um, many, many, in many traditions, maybe you've been brought up this way, you know, baptism is to be reserved for the mature Christian or the, the, the older Christian or the serious Christian. And friends, that could be nothing of the sort from the New Testament example of baptism. In fact, in the New Testament, you saw people were saved and they were water baptized. Adults and children. They were saved by faith in Christ and they were immediately baptized in water. And so here at Coast, uh, we have a very long application of, of, you know, you you have to fill out to be baptized. It's one question long. It says, have you believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior? And if they can check yes to that, they can be baptized. Because baptism, friends, is not reserved for the mature Christian. It's not reserved for the adult. It's reserved for the one who has believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Amen? Amen. So if you have not been baptized, and you have maybe thought to yourself, well, I'm, I'm just not holy enough, or I'm just not mature enough, or I'm just not, I'm not there. I'm not ready for that. Remember, the example of the New Testament is, we, are, we believe, and we're immediately baptized in water. I encourage you to take that next step in obedience to Christ, if you've not been baptized. We would love to baptize you, and I know that we will have another baptismal service very soon uh, in the near future. So just let me know if you'd like to be baptized. Dr. Henry Allen Ironside. Anybody ever heard of that name? Henry Allen Ironside, H.A. Ironside. Uh, Chances are, if you have any books from your grandmother or grandfather uh, possibly even a parent, uh, you've got a Henry Ironside book on your shelf. H.A. Uh, Ironside was a great man. He was a, a great Christian scholar, uh, an evangelical, a, a dispensationalist. He came from the Plymouth Brethren uh, background. And uh, he, was, he was one of the greats. He really was. One of the greats of all time in terms of just being a, a Bible scholar, an author, and professor, teacher pastor. Uh, He was self-taught. His education ended at the eighth grade. His education ended at the eighth grade, and yet he was, I believe, conferred an honorary doctorate for his exceptional, exceptional uh, self-studies in the Word of God and in the original languages and in in all that that encompasses the Christian faith. And uh, Ray Steadman, a recent pastor, used to speak of a story about Henry Ironside. Uh, he, uh, Steadman spoke of, of Ironside's experience at a restaurant one day. And Ironside had ordered a meal at a restaurant. And uh, he was just about to partake of his meal. He was sitting alone. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden, a man walked up and asked if he could be seated with him at the table. The restaurant was rather busy. 
And Ironside uh, looked at the man, and the man said, Do you mind if I sit down? And Ironside said, Sure, go ahead, have a seat. It's quite all right. And uh, as was his custom, Dr. Ironside, having the food in front of him, bowed his head, closed his eyes, and began to say a silent word of prayer, a silent word of thanksgiving to the Lord. When he lifted up his head, the man seated across from him asked him, Do you have a headache? Henry Ironside said, no, I don't. The man said, well, is there something wrong with your food? And Ironside said, no, there's not. Why do you ask? The man said, well, I saw you sitting there with your head down, and I thought, you must be sick, or maybe there was something wrong with your food. And Ironside replied, no, I was simply giving thanks to God for my food, as I do each time before I eat. The man looked at Ironside and says, Oh, you're one of those, aren't you? Well, I want you to know, I never give thanks, the man said. I earn my money by the sweat of my brow, and I don't have to give thanks to nobody when I eat. I just start right in. And Ironside looked at the man and said, Yes, you're just like my dog. That's what he does too. Yes, you're just like my dog. That's what he does too. You know, of all the times in which I've heard a rebuke from someone, I mean, this has got to take the cake right here. If I heard that coming out of the mouth of a, of a Bible scholar and pastor and, and great teacher, no less, I would just be dumbfounded. I, I, would be, I would be in stitches. I mean, that is a great, great rebuke. That is a great correction. That is a, that is a great statement coming from the lips of a wise man saying, let me tell you how life really is. Ironside rebuked that man in the restaurant. It may not have been the most tactful rebuke. I'll grant you that. But nevertheless, I bet you that man never once forgot that response. The title of my message today is Giving and Receiving Rebuke. Giving and Receiving Rebuke. And this is going to be a two-part message. Um, part one, we're going to be looking at the, what does it mean to receive rebuke and what does it look like to give rebuke. And in part two, we're going to look at an entire epistle, one chapter, the book of Philemon, which I would argue is one of the purest expressions of correction, of admonishment, of rebuke given in all the New Testament. Paul with Philemon we're going to look at that next week, and I encourage you to read it this week in preparation for that. Giving and receiving rebuke is our topic for the next two Sundays. And I want to begin by asking the question here in this uh, rather topical study on the issue of rebuke. Uh, what are some words that characterize a person who refuses rebuke, who refuses correction? What does the Bible have to say about a person who, who, who sees correction and sees rebuke and sees admonishment and says, I want none of that. I don't want to listen to the criticism of another. I don't want to listen to the criticism of a spouse or a friend. I want to go my own way. These are some of the things that characterize a person who refuses rebuke. First, the first word, they're astray. They're lost. Take a look at Proverbs 10, verse 17. 
says, He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. We're going to be looking at a number of Proverbs today, so you may want to begin to turn there as we flip through some of these texts. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. He's led astray. He's lost. He's wayward. That's a word that characterizes someone who refuses to receive rebuke. Secondly, Proverbs 13, 18a gives us a couple uh, indications of what it, it's like to not receive rebuke. It says this, uh, Proverbs 13, verse 8, Poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction. Here we have two other words, poverty, shame. The one who shuns correction, shuns admonishment, these are the words that Solomon uses to describe that person. They're a poor person. They're a shameful, shameful person. Fourth, the word destruction comes to mind. Proverbs 29, verse 1. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Ever receive criticism? Maybe a little excessive criticism from someone and you start to harden, you start to firm up, you tense up, you don't listen, all of a sudden their words just bounce right off you. Suddenly destroyed and that without remedy. There will be, no, be no solution to your destruction, to your ruin as a person. Now we're going to get to, well, how, well wait a minute. No, they, they were speaking ill. They were, they were speaking at a turn. Their, their rebuke was harsh. That may be the case. That might be the case. Nevertheless, when rebuked, when corrected, when admonished, we need to have a soft spirit, a humble spirit, receiving the truth, laying aside perhaps some of the tone. Fifth, the word death comes to mind in the Proverbs. Proverbs 15, verse 10. Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way, and he who hates correction will die. A dying man is one who hates correction, who hates to be admonished. And as if to sum it up, sixth and finally, I emphasize a biblical word that describes the one who does not receive rebuke, and that word is stupid. Stupid. Look at Proverbs 12, verse 1. Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid, dull-hearted, dumb, not thinking. If we shun rebuke, if we shun criticism, if we avoid it at all costs, we are acting stupidly, foolishly, not as God would have us act. These are the words that characterize the one who refuses rebuke. What about the one who embraces it? What about the person who welcomes it. Let's take a look at some words that characterize a person who listens to and heeds rebuke. 
The first word that comes to mind is this is a person of prudence. Take a look at Proverbs 15, verse 5. A fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. A discerning person. Knowledgeable. Wise. They show great prudence and care for their own life, their own integrity, their own growth by listening to rebuke. A second word that comes to mind, honor. Proverbs 13.8, we've read it before. And let's continue on to the last section. It says, Poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction, but he who regards a rebuke will be honored. Honored. We talked about honor last week at our Memorial Day message. We talked about what does it mean to recover your honor. One of the ways in which you become an honorable person is listening to criticism. One of the ways that you become a person of honor is listening to the criticism of others about you. Seeking it. Looking for it. Asking them, what do you see in me that needs changing? That's a person who is honorable. Three words all together that finish out our words here. A person who listens to and heeds rebuke is wise, is understanding, and exercises humility. Take a look at Proverbs 15.31-33. The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Love that phrase. I said that last week. Before honor is humility. That's, that's every time. Without fail. You don't become a person of honor by being proud. You become a person of honor by showing humility. Seeking the correction of others. Knowing that you're frail. That you have weaknesses. That you need to grow. The psalmist in response to the idea of being a person who seeks rebuke, this is what the psalmist says about receiving rebuke. He says, Oh, let the righteous strike me. It shall be kindness. And let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. Rebuke from a righteous person is likened to precious anointing oil poured over one's head so that they might be set apart as holy, as acceptable to the Lord, ready for service unto Him. Rebuke helps us become the person God wants us to be. And I'm asking us the question uh, this morning, very simply, very simply. Ask it in your own heart. Am I a person who welcomes the rebuke of others? Think about that for a moment. Consider in your heart, am I a person who welcomes the rebuke of others? Am I seeking it? Do I wish correction? Do I look for admonishment? Do I, do I have people in my life who can call me out? when I'm acting unbecoming of my Christian faith? 
Do I have friends who I've given every opportunity to call me out when I speak wrongly, when I act wrongly, when I think wrongly? Do I welcome rebuke? Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Great text. It says, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. This is actually a really peculiar text. I think, I think it's often misunderstood. Um, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Or in some translations, it's secret love. Or in some translations, it's love unexpressed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. What does it mean? What does the first part mean? It means this. It means that when you receive rebuke from a friend, that is far better and far more loving coming from them than if they have love for you that goes unexpressed. Than if they have love for you so much so that when they see you going wrong, they think, well, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to bring it up to them. I'm going to conceal it. I'm going to, I'm going to continue to love them even though they're going astray. Even though they've spoken out of turn. Even though they've acted unbecoming of Christ. Proverbs says, no, open rebuke. Far more loving than love that is carefully concealed. Than a passive love. Than a love that overlooks sin. Overlooks giving someone correction or admonishment when they need it. Because faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Matthew Henry's commentary, of all things, uh, the great, uh, great old commenta- commentator of old, he says this about Proverbs 27.5. He says, It is good for us to be reproved and told of our faults by our friends. Faithful are the reproofs of a friend, though for the present they are painful as wounds, But it is a sign that our friends are faithful indeed if in love to our souls they will not suffer sin upon us nor let us alone in it. I can't put it better. A friend is no friend indeed if they allow sin to come upon us without rebuke. A friend is no friend if he or she leaves us alone in our trespasses. I want friends who will call me out. I want friends who will tell me when I speak out of turn. I want friends who will call me out when I use a harsh tone with my wife, with my friends. I want someone to call me out when I am acting unwise, unbecoming of my faith in Christ. I have an assignment for us today. A homework assignment. What I would like for all of us to do is seek out two mature Christians. Maybe you have them, maybe you don't. If you do, you can rekindle this relationship now. But I want you to seek out two mature Christians that you respect. And I want you to go to them this week And I want you to ask them, is there anything in me that needs correcting? Is there anything in me 
that is awry? Have you watched me in the last few months and saw me act unbecoming of Jesus Christ? I want to know about it. I don't care what it is. You have the opportunity to tell me right now, how have I acted out of bounds? How have I sinned? How have I spoken wrongly? How have I acted wrongly? What do you see in me that needs correcting? Ask them, what can I change about myself, about my speech, about my actions that will help me become more like Jesus Christ? Give them the freedom to rebuke you. Give them the freedom to rebuke you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. They're faithful. This is not an easy task. I admit that. It's not easy to go up to a Christian that you respect and ask them to basically analyze your weaknesses. That is not an easy thing to do. I promise you, though, in the long run, you will be so much better off for it. The words they offer might hurt. They might sting for a time. But open and honest rebuke from a friend is the most faithful wound of all. For when it heals, you will have drawn closer to the image of your Savior, Jesus Christ. It's exactly where you want to be. Let us receive rebuke. Let us welcome it. It will help us to grow and mature into a man or woman of God. Okay, so the challenge is out. The challenge is out. I want you to find two people this week. Give them the freedom to rebuke you. To tell you how you need correcting. Now, the, now that the challenge is out, the, uh, the difficulty now becomes the one giving the rebuke, doesn't it? Uh, now that the challenge is on the table, I think it's important that we talk about some biblical advice on how to give rebuke. It's, easy, it's, uh, it's hard to receive rebuke, no doubt about it. But it's actually very, very difficult to give rebuke in a biblical fashion to give rebuke in a biblical fashion. And so I want to take a look in just a moment about giving rebuke as the Scriptures would have it. But first, I want to read a selection out of a book that uh, is a fantastic book. I'm very rarely a promoter of uh, Christianese books. Um, you know, I think, we, I think sometimes we're really punning on third down with a lot of our Christian bookstore uh, selection. This book is not one of those. This is a book that is very faithful to the Word of God and uh, faithful to the biblical concept of marriage. And it's called Love and Respect. Take a look at the picture up there. How many of you have read this book? Raise your hand. Fantastic. Um, again, I'm, I'm very rarely one to say you've got to read this, but you've got to read this. This is a fantastic book on marriage. The best book I've ever read on marriage. The best book I've ever read on marriage. And in this book... Emerson Egerix is his name, and his wife Sarah, they kind of co-authored this together, uh, more him than her, but he gives an example of rebuke. He gives an example of a rebuke gone awry. And I want you to listen to these words. Uh, I'm on page 10 and 11 of Love and Respect. Listen to the story between Emerson and his wife Sarah. It says, one night as we were driving home from a small group Bible study, Sarah expressed some strong feelings that had been building up in her over several weeks. You are boring in our Bible study tonight, she said, almost angrily. You intimidate people with your silence. And when you, when you do talk, 
you sometimes say something insensitive. What you said to the new couple came across poorly. I was taken aback, says Emerson, but tried to defend myself. What are you talking about? I was trying to listen to people and understand what they were saying. Sarah's answer went up several more decibels. You need to make people feel more relaxed and comfortable. The decibels rose some more. You need to draw them out. Now Sarah was almost shouting, Don't be so into yourself! I didn't respond for a few seconds because I was feeling put down. Not only by what she said, but by her demeanor and her tone. I replied, Sarah, you can be right, but wrong at the top of your voice. Sarah recalls that, that our conversa- Sarah recalls that our conversation that night in the car was life-changing for her. She may have been accurate in her assessment of how I was acting around people, but her delivery was overkill. Sarah, you can be right, but wrong at the top of your voice. I'm amazed this is uh, not the husband being the one who had the problem here. Because <laughs> I know in our marriage, I'm the one who, is, who might be right, but wrong at the top of my voice. Husbands, I think you can identify with that. Wives, perhaps some of you can identify with that. You can be right, but wrong at the top of your voice. The question becomes, how do we give rebuke? How do we do it in a biblical fashion? How do we do it in a way that is respectful, that is kind, that is as Jesus would have us rebuke another person? You know, early on in our marriage, Casey and I, we had a little, uh, we had kind of had a little game that we would play. Anytime one of us said something rude or sarcastic, uh, we would just turn to the other person and say, Tone. And immediately, whatever had been said that was rude or sarcastic had to be repeated again in a gracious and loving tone. Now, I'll give you some examples here, okay? My wife uh, would sometimes uh, call out sarcastically, Neil, why didn't you put your dirty dishes in the dishwasher and not leave them in the sink? And I would say, tone. And she'd say, honey, why are the dirty dishes in the, dish, in the sink and not in the dishwasher? And I'd say, well, darling, I'll tell you why. I didn't have an excuse. But... Or, uh, or I would sarcastically or rudely turn to my wife and say, Casey, why is every light on in the house? And she'd go, tone. And I'd go, honey, why is it that we're using all of our electricity in the home this morning? One time she got so frustrated at me. She was so angry at me. I had done something stupid. I don't even know what it was. And she looked at me and she was like, Ah! And I went, Tone. She went, Ah! It was like Susan Boyle, you know, in England. It was like an opera event. It was great. The tone game. I'm telling you, it, it, it helped our marriage. It really did. We haven't practiced it a lot lately. We're going to restart that game now, you know? I remember having done that for years with her early on in our marriage. How do we give rebuke? How do we give correction? How do we give admonishment but do so in a biblical fashion? Let's take a look. 
I want to list five things and then we'll be done for this morning's uh, part one. Five things that characterize a wise rebuke. First, a wise rebuke is respectful, courteous, and uplifting. Notice what it says in 1 Timothy 5. It actually says, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger as sisters with all purity. Now actually this this text is not meant to say don't ever give correction or admonishment to those people, but the text is indicating that when you do so, you're to do so very carefully, very graciously, very respectfully. You're not to, to rebuke them in the fullest sense of the word, in the sternness that the term indicates, but you're to be respectful, to be courteous, to be uplifting. Secondly, a wise rebuke is given privately and in love. Leviticus 19, 16 and 17, the law of Moses here. You shall not go about as a talebearer or a slanderer among your people, nor shall you take a false stand against the life of your neighbor, for I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. The indication here is that the people in, in, in Moses' day were, were slandering one another, tail-bearing. Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear the comment that they made last night at dinner? Oh my goodness, can't believe they would do such a thing. I would never say something like that. No, Moses says, the Word of God says, hey, don't be a slanderer, don't be a tail-bearer, don't hate your brother. Go to him or her privately. Go to them in love. Rebuke them in secret. Give it privately. Give it in love. A wise rebuke third is firm enough to prove your point, yet gentle enough to encourage repentance. This is so important. Firm enough to prove your point, yet gentle enough to encourage repentance. Take a look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul says this. He says, And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed, yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. In Paul's circumstances here, he was dealing with people that were going awry. They were teaching awry. They were... They were reading the, the epistle to the Thessalonians and we're saying, well, Paul's, I don't know if he's right here, there, and the other way. And Paul's saying, hey, you know what? Don't keep company with them. Be firm with them. Firm enough to prove your point. Separate from them. At the same time, do so as you would separate from a brother for a time. For a time. Encourage the repentance. Don't isolate for the sake of Isolation. Treat them as if you would they were a member of your own family as you correct them. And that will encourage their restoration. And that brings us to the fourth. So, such a critical point. A wise rebuke is sensitive and restorative. It is aware of the fragility of a person's heart. It is sensitive and restorative. Aware of the fragility of a person's heart. This is a fantastic psalm. Take a look at these words from David to God. Notice what he's saying to the Lord. He says, Remove your plague from me. I am consumed by the blow of your hand. When with rebukes you correct man for iniquity, you make his beauty melt away like a moth. Surely every every man is vapor. 
Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you, a sojourner, a wanderer, as all my fathers were. Remove your gaze from me that I may regain strength before I go away and am no more. This is David's lament to God following discipline and correction. David is reminding the Lord, he's saying, I'm fragile. I'm weak. I'm like vapor. And when you correct me, when you chastise me, when you rebuke me, it's like I'm being eaten away by a moth. So be sensitive to me. Be restorative to me. Show me your kindness. Show me your grace, Lord. The book of Job speaks of how God does this. It says, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. For when he bruises, he binds up. When he wounds, his hands make whole. When you rebuke someone, friends, when you rebuke someone, be sensitive. Be restorative. Know how fragile that moment is. They are at a very weak spot, a very weak point. And your words, so carefully crafted, so as to build them up, bring them along carefully. Fifth and finally, a wise rebuke is blessed by the Lord and it's respected by others. A wise rebuke is blessed by the Lord and respected by others. Proverbs 28:23. He who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. And chapter 25, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. Uh, I have great respect for people who correct. Great respect for people who correct others, but do so graciously, with sensitivity, with, with, with a desire to bring about change, to bring about healing, to bring about them becoming a whole person of God and not someone who is going astray, going wayward. A faithful friend is one who calls us out when we are in sin. So I'm asking us this morning to take action. Take action. These are your two assignments. You ready for it? Once again, number one, I want you to identify two Christians that you respect and I want you to ask them, is there anything in me that needs to change? Is there anything in me that needs correcting? I give you freedom to rebuke me. I give you freedom to analyze how I treat my wife how I treat my husband, how I treat my kids, how I use my words, how I use my hands, how I live. I give you the freedom to correct me. Show me my air. I welcome it. I receive it. I want to change. Humbly receive their admonishment. Earnestly seek to become more like Jesus Christ. Second action item, I want you to read Philemon. I want you to take note of how Paul graciously admonishes Philemon. Let Paul's example become a model for you when, when giving rebuke, correction, and admonishment to a friend. You know, upon first inspection of Philemon, many of you will think, this isn't a rebuke. Paul's not rebuking Philemon. Friends, yes, he is. Yes, he is. He is absolutely 
positively correcting and admonishing his brother in the Lord. And yet he does so with such grace, with such meekness, such mildness and sensitivity that as you read it, you won't even think it's a rebuke. Watch Paul carefully in the book of Philemon. And let's come back next week and let's study that example of giving rebuke. Let's close in a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that You chasten us. You discipline us when we are wayward. And You do so because like an earthly father disciplining his son, Father, You want us to be on the straight and narrow path. You want us to be imitating Your Son. And so, Lord, we welcome Your rebuke. We welcome Your correction. It's not, it's not fun when it happens. It's painful. But, Lord, we know that faithful are the wounds of a friend. I pray for our people. I pray that we would become a community who receives rebuke. Regardless of the tone, I pray that we would receive the truth of a rebuke the truth of a correction, that we will be humble, seeking the change. And Father, when we give rebuke, when we give correction, when we give criticism, let us do so with sensitivity. Let Your Spirit guide each word, the tone, the look on our face. May we show great mercy and grace to others as You have shown to us through Your Son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.